while once again Muslim terrorists a terrorist have slaughtered attack. innocent Islamic people extremists the now Islamic control terrorists. parts of the country. The Their brand of justice is brutal and deadly. Newsflash, America. These Muslim extremists are, uh, are alive and well. They are not dead. And their video is not gratuitous. And it certainly is not irrelevant. It is a warning. Welcome to the Truth About Muslims podcast, the official podcast of the Zwemer Center for Muslim Studies, where we help to educate you beyond the media. Here are your hosts, Howard and Trevor. All right. So this, this is going to be easy. You guys are a uh, good crowd. Um, we're, we're actually recording this live, so Howard and I do a weekly release of this podcast. It's called Truth About Muslims. And so we, we just recognize that there's the media provides a platform for radical views of anything, whether it be Muslims, Christians, toothpaste, it doesn't matter. The media will provide it. So we thought, why not provide a uh, truly balanced perspective coming from the academic world and putting the, the cookies on the bottom shelf. How many of you guys have actually listened to Truth About Muslims podcast? Nice. Wow, I was like thinking like two or three. Nice. Wait, Spread wait, the word. wait, wait, wait. How many of you guys actually are, are students of Trevor? Oh, they have oh, to the same me. people. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We, we, we got to fix class. that. We got to fix that. I make not not that class. you shouldn't be Trevor's students. I'm just saying the other part. Go ahead. All right. So what we're going to do, you can text in to the number on the screen. Uh, questions that you have regarding radical Islam. I hear questions going around all the time, but this would be a great opportunity for you to text them in. We will field any question, although let me preface it with there are dumb questions. Just say that out loud. So, there are. There are dumb questions. So and, and we, we might bring them up, just for fun. No, I told Howard, throw out the most complex question right at the beginning, and let's just go ahead and knock it out of the park. Right, so not if really. It's, if it's theological. Give us a soft pitch first. If and you have then textual criticism in your question. We'll start there. Yeah, we'll start. <laughs> so thinking about the context of radical Islam, we have to first realize, first and foremost, it is complicated. Um, I put a graphic together just to show you guys the complex nature of everything that's happening in the Middle East today. Um, obviously, those of you listening to the podcast can't see the graphic, but everybody here will be able to see it. And it just gives you an idea of all the nations involved uh, when it comes to radical Islam. Brad, can you throw that up for me? Yeah, we'll put that in the show notes for those that are listening online. online. So this just shows you the different connections between different nations involved regarding simply ISIS. Now, if we were to go back through history and talk about who is connected with who, we would have to recognize that right now, who are our allies might have previously been our enemies. Right. And who are our allies today might in the future be our enemies. And when you think about Islam in the context of radical Islam, you have to recognize that there is a historical context. Howard and I, for the last 20 weeks, have been interviewing uh, scholars, and I told Howard, sum it up in one word, and it was, it's... Complicated. That's, that's all I do. That's, <laughs> I don't have any degrees in, in Islam or whatever. I just, I'm just his friend. We've been friends for about... Uh, 18, 18, years. 18 years. So he just dragged me along. But he does have degrees. He's got a master's I mean, I do degree have degrees. from CIU. I graduated from CIU, so if, if any of you are still left from where I was. All right. Know, we've already got a question. Oh, nice. It's kind of, we don't want to answer that, though. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm like, wait, we have to I told Howard he can ask any question he wants, so he'll choose. Oh, I get to choose? Well, yeah. okay, go on to point two then. Well, if you, are you done with point one? That's point one. It's complicated. it's complicated. There's way more going on than what the media allows you to see. You get 30 seconds of a sound bite. And so somebody comes along and says, uh, you know, radical Islam is this. And then you go, hmm. 
and that's all you get. You get 30 seconds. And I'm telling you, the complexity of just that map would take an entire semester to explain. And that would just be the political side of things and the sociological side of things, not even theological. And so you have to realize it's complicated. And, and something else that we kind of discovered is that the more you know uh, people on the ground, like real, actual Muslims, like uh, Trevor and I both have been, we served in missions for a number of years, and we've met Muslims. I remember there was this one time I was in, uh, Bomb uh, in Mumbai, and uh, they were... Um, uh, they had this Muslim festival. I was in the Muslim side of town. I came out, there was rivers of blood on the street. And it wasn't from killing people, it was from killing... I'm glad you clarified Right, that. I just wanted to... It was killing sheep, right? Because they were doing this holiday thing. And so I just walked up and everybody was wearing like, you know, ornamental garb. They were just like really nice. And I was like, well, you know, what's going on? I, I was just a visitor. I didn't know any of these people and they're just like, oh, come on in. And they, they, they invited me to their house, fed me, asked me to help sacrifice a sheep. I, I declined, but I was there. And uh, they fed me. I didn't even know these people at all. And they were just, that's... And Why did you decline? I'm scared. I was scared. Thank you for making I'm just, me say that in front of all these people. Yeah. I think, for me, I've actually been participated in more animal slaughters here in Colombia than I have overseas. As a matter of fact... Is that okay for you to say out loud? Yeah. Okay. There, there was right. a cow on Monticello right up the road, not even a mile from campus, that a Muslim buddy called me at about... It was about 6 a.m. and he said, hey, are you busy today? <laughs> are you and busy? I said, yeah. Um, and he said, well, we really need your help with something. I'm thinking moving, filling out a form, something. And he said, we're, we're going to uh, kill a cow today for Eden. We need your help taking it down. And I was like, I am so there to take down <laughs> Did he say take it down? Yes, we need your help to wrestle it down. Oh, okay. That, that that's the, different than what we would think. So anyway, I got to participate in that. It was, right. I got pictures. So let's, uh, let's do one of these questions Yeah, I, I highlighted one right there. What do you got? The oh. one that's highlighted. Why has, for the last decade, why has there been a spike in radical Islam? <laughs> Good question. It's complicated. It's complicated. That's the answer. <laughs> Next. Um, let's yeah. move on. All right. This week's sponsors. CIU. CIU. CIU educates people from a bib biblical biblical world review world view world view CIU educates people from a biblical world view to impact the nations with the message of Christ why has for the last decade why has there been a spike in radical Islam good question it's complicated it's complicated that's the answer <laughs> next um, let's yeah. move on Okay, in order to understand the context of the spike in radical Islam, you really have to look at the history of the political situation starting in the early 20th century with the creation of the Muslim Brotherhood, looking at the creation of a radical Islamic ideology that was trying to keep the Muslim world from becoming westernized. Now here's the weird irony of all of this. The guy who wrote the theology that is driving the fundamentalist ideology that we see today all over the news was actually a student in the United States. Mm. That should blow your mind. He was a student in Colorado Springs studying education and he was so appalled by Western materialism. He was appalled by immorality. He was appalled by the, what he said, the unequivocal support for, uh, our, for Israel that he literally went back to Egypt created his own uh, group, and from that springs the theology that we see being espoused today. And so that theology existed in Islam prior to him, but he was the one who brought it to the revival front. 
And so there is a revival, I think that's the term we could use, wow. a revival in Islamic fundamentalism right now, and it started in Colorado Springs. Here, here's another great question. What do, you, uh, what do you do about radicals who insist on killing Christians? Would you fight back? Me? Yeah, I wanted to know for Trevor, actually. <laughs> I wanted to see what you'd say. Uh, I would have an easier time probably fighting with a Christian than I would a Muslim. It's kind of weird, huh? Yeah, I was just going to say Because of their weird. eternal security. I don't know. I would have a All hard right. time with that. I would have a hard time with that. Um, I'm not a pacifist, however, maybe I am and I just don't know it. I'm not a pacifist, however, um, in thinking in terms of their eternal security. The hardest thing about doing this podcast this week for me um, was the killing of 21 Christians in, in Libya. 21 Egyptian Coptic Christians were beheaded last week. And I told my wife this would be so much easier to do if that hadn't just happened. Right. Of course, my wife, being much more spiritual than I, said, maybe for such a time as this, that you're doing this. So, um, but, but time out. Why, why would that be hard? What, what, what are you saying? What are you, what are you getting at? What are you, what are you saying that we naturally kind of fall into? I think, we kind of think? I think that we naturally fall into, and I'm guilty of it too, is we're shocked. I mean, how many of you guys are shocked to see 21 people's heads removed? Everybody, right? Um, Trying to explain that to our kids, is, it's tough. Right. These people, are, I mean, were decapitated for their faith because they're Christians. What do you do with that? Um, but I think the scripture that was brought to mind this morning, I got up really early to, to think and pray about this. And the scripture that came to mind was, um, don't, don't be surprised when the fiery trial comes upon you as though something strange is happening. Like, why are we now shocked when people die and suffer for their faith in Christ. When Jesus and the New Testament and Paul and, and Peter, they seem to indicate that if Jesus was hated, how much more will we be hated? I mean, we've not surpassed the teacher. And so if Jesus is hated, won't we also be hated? And then Paul, in writing to um, in the New Testament as well, we see constant references to be prepared for suffering. But we don't we're surprised by it, right. and we're shocked by it. And I think the thing that really concerns me the most is we're not supposed to be afraid. If you read in Matthew 10, I think it's 25 through 30, you see the reference of do not be afraid of those that can destroy the body. And you see that do not fear, do not fear, do not fear three different times in that little passage. And then you actually hear the response of fear the one who can destroy the body and the soul. Don't be afraid of the one who can destroy the body but can't destroy the soul, but be afraid of the one who can. It's like fear God. Don't fear the things that are happening, but we are inundated every single day with news media, and we are terrified. And I think it has completely and utterly surpassed our fear of God, and we now fear man. And that is way more concerning to me than anything else. That was way too heavy. I'm sorry. I should... Yeah. Thank you. Uh, next heavy question. Are radical Muslims following the teaching of the Quran? I told you soft pitch, the first one. <laughs> soft pitch. That's an easy question. Are radical Muslims following the teaching of the Quran? Well, it depends who you ask. Um, it's complicated. It's complicated. Yeah. The radical Muslims would argue that, yes, they are most certainly following the teachings of the Quran. However, there isn't a ruling authority right now within Islam. There's no pope that gets to decide, well, one guy claims he's pope. The, the caliph, uh, Abu Baghdadi, says he's pope. But in reality, you have uh, 
schools of law, you have scholars, and the top scholars in Islam are saying absolutely not. The, the leader, uh, the Grand Mufti of Al-Hazar, which would be considered the top university in the Muslim world, says no, they're not following the true interpretation of the Quran. And so you have, I would look at it as you have literalists, those that look at the Quran and say, uh, we need to follow this literally. And then you have those that look at it and they say, no, there's a context and they do hermeneutics, essentially, and they develop interpretations. What you guys need to know is the, the process that Muslims go through to develop their theology is equally complex to yours, equally complex to yours. And so if you don't like when someone comes and says, Christians believe this, and you're looking at them going, you never even read the Bible, and you're telling me what Christians believe. Every blog's like that all the time. <laughs> I don't read those things because they are annoying, but yeah. yeah. But when they do that, it really bothers me. And I think, you don't understand the complexity that our faith has gone through historically. And Muslims have done the same thing. Now, I have to say this. One of the most difficult times in my Christian walk was in Oxford, England. Um, you know you've, you've been married to somebody a long time when they can see on your face that you're struggling. Um, I Skyped my wife that night and she said, are you okay, you look like you're struggling. And I was like, man. How does she know? That day, I had went into a church, um, the University Church of St. Mary in Oxford. It's one of the oldest, most beautiful churches in the world. And I was looking at this poll where the uh, Re Reformation uh, martyrs were tried. And so it's almost like you're standing in this chapel and you're looking at this poll, and that's where they would stand and give their defense, and they're tried for their belief in, 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 in the Re Reformation as Anglicans. And these four people are burned at the stake out in the, in the courtyard, in the streets of, of Oxford. And so you go there and you have this overwhelming sense of history and it's intense. And then I realized that not even 35 years later, four Catholics are dragged through the streets. They're stretched, they're hung. Two of them, the ones that were priests because they were found to have vestments and offering the mass, were quartered, quartered and beheaded, and their heads were stuck on the castle walls, and the quarters of their bodies were stuck on the castle walls. That was a test of, I mean, that was a test of my faith right there. I thought, man, what is this? Because for me, that's, I'm so far removed from that. It's not my faith now. And I think this is where our president, bless his heart, got it wrong when he said that no religion uh, condones religious violence. And I was talking to Dr. Barnett about this, and, and he eloquently said, no, I think that's backwards. I think every religion at one time or another has condoned religious violence. And so we have to be careful when we throw rocks and we live in a glass house. We don't even need to talk about the Crusades in a sense of comparing Muslims in the Crusades. Because in our own history, we have incredible violence. And it, it can be a real test to our own faith. And I'm so glad at this university we don't go through and cherry pick the nice things. In classrooms, you get to struggle through the hard things and your professors bring to light the struggle. And I think that will in turn help you to learn from history. What you have to realize about Muslims is they're experiencing that same identity crisis today. If you subtract 700 years, we had a seven year, 100 year head start on Islam. Subtract 700 years, you're gonna find yourself right there at the fourth crusade when uh, Christians are fighting against Christians. They're trying to figure out who's going to win the day. And then you go forward a little bit, and you have Protestants fighting Catholics. Who's going to win the day? Imagine that you're just one of those people stuck in the middle. 
You don't know what to do. Maybe you live in Oxford. Suddenly Catholics are ruling. Well, I guess I'm Catholic. Suddenly Protestants are ruling. Well, I guess I'm Protestant. It would give you more compassion on those Muslims that are living in these lands that uh, Howard and I joke, it's like they just want to eat sandwiches. They just want to eat sandwiches. They just want to raise their, they want to be normal people. But you have these crazy people coming in, and they also are Muslim, and they're threatening their lives. They're killing their children. They're crucifying fellow Muslims. They're decapitating Christians. They're doing all kinds of sick evil. And these people are stuck in the middle going, what are we supposed to do? It's a really heavy situation. That leads us to our second point. Um, Muslims are people. Tell us about that. You can tell them about that, people. I mean, what? Right. How, how are they just, what, how should we think about it differently? Why, why we don't need to make them products of theology, this sort of right. theological determinism. Right, I, I think about it in terms of identity, like I'm Korean, but I have facial hair. He is Korean, and his so, name is Howard. I, I work at a He's Kore the only Korean I've ever met named Howard. Thank you. So if you need to find me in heaven, eh, just say. Looking for a Korean dude named Howard. Uh, anyway, so I work at a Korean church, and um, I'm a youth pastor there, and I have facial hair, and everybody thinks it's weird. It is weird. Uh, thank you. Um, and I'll have people, I've worked there for nine years, and I have like women coming up to me and like, are you Korean? Like, they don't know I'm Korean. I'm like, yeah, I'm Korean. They think I'm like Hawaiian or Samoan or something like that. I'm just like, I'm Korean, right? It's like this identity. I have this weird identity. I go hunting. I hunt deer. Tell you what, and I get kind of that, that voice whenever I do go hunting. He does. He probably uh, still hunts. So that camp. I can blend in, right? I do things, right, that, that don't fit with my identity that, you know, people would give me. It just shows me every single day how complicated I am. I have five kids. That's weird. I have, well, not for some homeschool families, no offense, but. <laughs> oh my. Uh, my, my wife oh my. is Cuban slash uh, Norwegian German, you know, and, and so like it's, I just have a weird life. I have a weird life and, and it, it just shows me like, well, how complicated really people are. We try to put them into boxes yes. and it's just not that simple. And so you meet a Muslim guy that's, you know, like I, I was at uh, this uh, frozen yogurt place and I saw this Muslim guy and I, I wanted to talk to him just to kind of hear his story. I didn't actually get a chance to because I was with a bunch of students, but I was thinking, wow, that guy probably has a totally different life than, than the, the news media would ascribe to him. Yep. But we kind of go out around in, in default mode saying, okay, well, I'm just going to take in what Fox News says or CNN says. And I'm going to just assume everybody's in that group. Everyone hates Americans. All these Muslims are, are, are radical at heart. They're violent, secretly violent. You know, we've, we've talked to people that are actually afraid of Muslims um, just in America. Like just oh, yeah. Guys that I think there's probably neighbors. people here on campus that are afraid of Muslims. Right. So, sure. yeah, I, I think that it's it, uh, part, partly what we try to do on our podcast is to remind people that, number one, yeah, it is complicated and that they are people and that we, our faith, right, is far above our political views, our, even our, 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 our uh, nationalistic views, right, that we, ha we have a higher calling. And that's really hard. It's like pulling teeth um, it is. in some places. You guys want to hear a funny story about Howard being Samoan? Stop. <laughs> we, were, uh, we were in a country. We had got there by using surfing because it was 100% Muslim country. And so we went in as surfers, and he doesn't surf. I don't surf. But, I, don't, uh, I don't swim. The locals started asking, like, so why doesn't Howard surf? And they said, he's clearly, like, looks Hawaiian. And I said, well, he's a big wave rider. So, you know, unless it gets really big, he's not going to paddle out there. And so they were waiting. They're like, man, if it really gets jacked up, Howard's going to paddle out. In this and, country, it was, like, known, world-renowned for, for surfing. And so, of course, the day came when the entire islands were like covered in mist because the waves were so big. 
And they all came out. They're like, ready for Howard. My nickname was Captain. I don't know why. It looks like a captain. I mean, I have nothing to do with water, but they're just like, Captain, it's big. Let's go out. You know, I'm just like, I got, I just gotta be honest. So the show wouldn't be possible without sponsors. And this week's sponsors are Zwammer Center. Zwammer Center. Zwammer Center. The Zwammer Center. Zwammer Center. And what does the Zwammer Center do? Talks about Muslims and, and tells them on the computer that we love you. Very nice. The Zwemmer Center equips the church to reach Muslims. The Zwemmer Center has been educating people about reaching Muslims before it was cool. So of course, the day came when the entire islands were like covered in mist because the waves were so big. And they all came out, they're like... Ready for it, Howard. <laughs> my nickname was Captain, I don't know why. It looks like a captain. I mean, I have nothing to do with water, but they're just like, Captain, it's big, let's go out, you know? I'm just like, I, gotta, I just got to be honest. I, I'm afraid of the water, you know? <laughs> That's not me. So, but they were all Muslims. It was a Muslim, it was a Muslim country. It was. a Muslim country. It yeah. was. I like this question. Is there a difference between political Islam and religious Islam? I think the same question could be asked of Christianity. I think it's a concerning time when you have politicians, even in our country, comparing water, bapti- or water torture, waterboarding, with baptism for terrorism. That's a concerning statement. I think it's a concerning statement when you have ordained pastors saying we should convert or kill Muslims. It's a concerning time when pastors are sort of taking that route. And so the question is, well, that's not all pastors. All pastors don't think Islam is this sort of, you know, wicked, evil thing that is ISIS is truly representing until the research just came out that says almost 50%, it's 47% of pastors believe that ISIS, the guys that just cut the heads off of 21 people, represent the true nature of Islam. Now, how do you teach your church to love those people if you really think that they're all like that? That to me is overwhelmingly concerning that we've taken that route, that we've literally just grouped everybody together and said they all should look like this. And I'm not really sure what you have to win there by suggesting that the radicals have the correct interpretation. I just don't know what you have to win there other than giving them the sort of leg up. I want to be on the side of peace, personally, and do my best to be at peace with as many people as possible. And so the Muslims that I've met, they're just as concerned, maybe even more so concerned about ISIS as, as we are. And they don't see uh, political Islam and religious Islam as being represented well by ISIS. But there is a link. Uh, it's, less, it's less clear um, in Islam. And, and I think in Christianity there's some, some separation. There are those Christians that want to link them tightly, and there, and there is Christians that want to separate them. In Islam, I don't think there's that much of a dichotomy. I think most Muslims want to keep them linked. Now, what type of uh, political ideology they follow? Well, it depends. We thought for sure if we gave Iraq the choice, they would follow democracy. Turns out we were wrong. Um, We thought for sure that if uh, we give people the choice, that surely our way of doing things in this country politically would be the way they want to do things. We're learning that that's not the case. And so, What will Islam look like politically? They're trying to figure that out. Like I said, they're in an identity crisis. They themselves are working through that sort of reformation. People say that um, Islam needs a reformation. I don't understand how we can't see that we're in the middle of it. 
I mean, do you, do you realize that the Reformation in Christianity was some of the most violent years of world history? And I'm not saying because Christians were doing these things or giving any kind of religious identity to what was happening, but when Christianity was reformed, the next hundred years were some of the most violent years in existence because you had jockeying for position, political power, linking together with political ideology and religious ideology. And Islam is walking through that same thing right now. We of all people should be able to look at them with ultimate and thorough compassion and offer something different. And I think that's where we're dropping the ball. Yeah, so what we've been finding is that uh, it's interesting the effect of ISIS or even just uh, um, in Iran. We talked to Dr. Kashin uh, about uh, when um, it became a very uh, radical uh, Muslim country. Um, there was an interesting fruit Right, Trevor? Some things were happening in people, and they were actually turning away from Islam. Can you kind of tell us something okay, about so that? Okay, so Cashin is dead on, and he's said this for a long time. Larson, Dr. Larson, those of you that know him, said the same thing, that Islamic radicalization, fundamentalism, is the sort of the proto-evangelist, as the term Cashin uses. Um, it is the context in which people flee Islam. They're their own worst enemy. So we, we interviewed a guy that's working in the Sudan, and he said that there are people in the Fur tribe coming to know Jesus, the Darfur, right? That area of the Sudan. Never been people that have known Jesus before. And because they are coming south, and you know why they're coming south? Because they're being killed by their Muslim brothers. And so you have, and, and in his own words, he said, this isn't a religious thing. This is brown killing black. So you have brown Arab Muslims killing black Muslims, and black Muslims are coming south, and they're fleeing, and they're meeting Christians who have open arms, they're meeting Christians who are giving them the love of Christ and fewer are coming to know Jesus. The first time in human history this people group is coming to know Jesus. So what do we have to learn from Africa? What about the Muslim immigrants that are coming here that are fleeing Sharia law, that are fleeing countries like Iraq, that are fleeing Afghanistan? They're flooding these apartment complexes all around us. And what are they encountering? Are they encountering the love of Jesus? Are they encountering people that say, well, you don't understand your own religion because you should be a radical? Right. We've heard stories where uh, Muslims would come from really community-based uh, um, uh, cities and villages and tribes, and they would come to the States and see how separated we are. And if you even look at an American house, you know, you have like a living room in the front room or the front room, and it's always like covered in plastic or like really like nice. You, 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 when you were a kid, you wanted to play in that room, but your mom would always say, no, you're not allowed. Right? But then you go in the back where you actually live, the living room, and there's a big TV couch, it's messy, there's toys in the corner, right? And the kitchen's right next to it. Like it just kind of shows as soon as you walk into the house, it's kind of foreign. So I, I kind of feel like that's a visual image of what maybe some of these guys come from this community-based uh, background. They come in and they just feel like they can't knock on your door. You have to call them up first to say, hey, I'm coming over, or I need a reason to come over. And they feel so distant. And at the same time, like we as, as Christians are thinking, oh, we're being real, a real God influence. Tell, tell them about what they saw in the Pakistan, the, the Pakistani Muslims saw when they went to church. Yeah. Their viewpoint of, they went to this contemporary church and... Uh, they, I'll, I'll close with this because we're actually out of time. Man, they went fast. We, got like we have like questions 10 here. million questions. Um, it, basically what happened was they went to church and they saw Bibles on the ground. It was a community type church and Bibles were under the seats and they began to collect the Bibles because they were so offended and thought, why are these people putting the Word of God on the ground? And so they started collecting them to stack them like on the shelves. 
people told them, of course, that's where they're supposed to go. That's where we keep them. They were shocked. They were also shocked um, by the dress. They felt like the women were dressing to attract the men, and they didn't understand how that was supposed to be conducive for worship. And so I think, I think that it's going to be a hard road forward for Christians to be able to, to love Muslims. I want to close with this question because it's really important, and it says, how does ISIS relate to Sunni and Shia Islam? Well, they hate them all. Um, ISIS hates just about everybody that doesn't think like them. And so it doesn't matter if you're Sunni or Shia, if they come along and you don't follow their brand of Islam, you're the enemy. Um, they particularly hate the Shia. So they are quote-unquote Sunni Muslims, but it doesn't matter. They will burn a Jordanian pilot. They will decapitate 21 Christians. They will uh, mow down an entire group of Alawite uh, Muslims. It doesn't matter. Whatever the group you're a part of, if you don't think like them, and you don't follow their brand of Islam, they hate you. And so they are, in my opinion, a true representation of what our real enemy is, the evil one. There is evil in the world. This isn't new. And our goal is to proclaim Christ crucified, to destroy the works of the devil, and to uplift God so that he would be glorified. And I think we have to be, you guys, you might say, I don't really have a calling to Muslims. I get that. But because you went to school here, your degree is going to be really important to churches that you worship in. You need to be the first and foremost to stand up and say, Muslims need Jesus, and we need to turn off the news, and we need to start preaching the gospel. And the reason I say turn off the news, imagine a Muslim, if all they ever saw about the United States was school shootings, three Muslims being murdered in cold blood because of a parking space, if they watched and saw race riots, police brutality, I mean, you name it, whatever they're watching. If all they watched was the news about America, I would think you guys are inherently violent too. So let's close in prayer. Wait, <laughs> to listen to the podcast, go to iTunes.com and... Truth About Muslims. Type in Truth About Muslims, okay? We thank you so much for your for being here. I, I guess they're kind of forced here, but... Yeah, kind of bit, <laughs> they're required to be here. You gotta I remember, so... But do anyway. the retina scan, so... Yeah, so now we, now we can close in prayer. Yeah. I want to close on a high note. So, Father, we do thank you that um, you are in control. Lord, so many times we are overwhelmed with fear. But we realize, we realize that you're at work. You've been at work through all of this. You were at work during the Reformation, during the dark years of the uh, violence that happened even within our own faith. You were at work even within the Crusades. You were at work in all of these areas, Lord. And we can trust that you are going to accomplish your will by filling the earth with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. And I thank you, Father, that so many Muslims are coming to know Jesus. It's overwhelming for us, Lord. I don't know why, but we have come to a point in our lives where we are now surprised by the sufferings that come upon Christians. Lord, shake us out of our, our easy life where we just forget that we are called to be bigger than our own little context, Lord. Our world has become the world, Lord, and help that not to be so. Help us to think bigger and to glorify you among the nations. We pray that many Muslims would come to know you as a result of the wrath of man. Father, their, their feet are swift to shed blood, but we also know that the peace of Christ can provide an answer. Help Christians to provide that for Muslims in Jesus' name. Amen.